Many of you are familiar with the stories and the conquests of King David in the Old Testament. The author of Psalm 23 and other great psalms that we, that we enjoy and that we have, we have grown to love. If I were to ask you this morning what you think David's greatest mistake was, David's greatest sin, I think many of you would probably say that it was David's sin of adultery with Bathsheba, right? And his murder of Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. And certainly the sins of adultery and murder coupled with deceit are not to be treated lightly. David's choices uh, had a devastating impact. And a total of four people died because uh, David was just stupid when he did that. Four people died as a result of his sins of lust and adultery. But there is another sin that David committed which actually resulted in the death of far more people than just four. Let's have a look this morning at 1 Chronicles chapter 1. We, we don't have it on the screen for you this morning, so you'll have to look in the book at 1 Chronicles chapter 21 or bring it up on your Bible app and we couldn't make it any more easy for you than we have this morning. So let me begin reading at verse 1 of 1 Chronicles chapter 21 and you can follow along. Then Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. So David said to Joab and the commanders of the army, Go! Number Israel from Beersheba to Dan and bring me a report that I may know their number. Then just jump down to verse 7. We're saving some time here this morning. But God was displeased with this thing, this numbering of, of the nation, and he struck Israel. And David said to God, I have sinned greatly in that I have done this thing. But now please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have acted very foolishly. And jump down to verse 14. The Lord sent a pestilence on Israel, and 70,000 men of Israel fell. And God sent the angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. But as he was about to destroy it, the Lord saw, and he relented from the calamity. And he said to the angel who was working destruction, It's enough. Now stay your hand. And the angel of the Lord was standing by the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. And David lifted his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven, and in his hand a drawn sword stretched out over Jerusalem. Then David and the elders, clothed in sackcloth, which is a, a, a symbol of repentance and, and, and sorrow, uh, they're clothed in sackcloth, fell, they fell upon their faces. And David said to God, Was it not I who gave command to number the people? It is I who have sinned and done great evil. But these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand, O Lord my God, be against me and against my father's house, but do not let the plague be on your people. We're going to stop reading there for now, but let me just give you what might be the shortest summary ever of what we just read. And here it is, just a quick summary of what we just read. David sinned against God by giving in to Satan's enticement 
to become proud. And then from that prideful place in his heart, he commanded that a census be taken. David sinned against God by, by, by giving in to Satan's enticement to become proud. And then from that proud, dark place in his heart, he commanded that a census be taken. Notice the very first verse in the passage. 1 Chronicles 21, verse 1. Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. So Satan provoked David to go against God. He instigated and motivated and prompted David to take the census which God had not authorized. Scripture refers to to Satan as the ruler, or as it says in Ephesians, the prince of the power of the air. He is the spirit who is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So he's called the ruler. He's called the deceiver. He's called the, 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 the prince of the power of, of the air because he tries to dominate his human subjects. That's what he's all about. He, he tries to dominate his human subjects, particularly those who rebel against Jesus, the sons of disobedience. Those are his primary targets. Demons have limited power and they know it. But that's why they work extra hard at what they do. They know their time is short. They know their power is limited. So they work twice as hard and twice as fast. The ruler of this world incited David to take a census. And the census was probably sinful because it likely arose from David's presumptuous military ambitions and his pride that came from the victories that he had participated in uh, only a short time before rather than from God's express command. Does that make sense? And if David was full of pride or even if he was prone to pride, which we think he is because he had blood flowing through his veins, you know, he's part of the human race, probably prone to pride, If that was true, then then Satan had an easy target. He loves to work with prideful people. I, I know that from experience. So as the ruler, Satan's target is your will. Is your will. Satan's goal is always to get at the will of the individual believer in Jesus and control it. He wants to rule the will of people like us. He may begin by deceiving the mind like he did with Eve, or he may try to attack the body like he did with Job, but eventually and ultimately he wants to control your will and introduce pride into your life so that you pull away from God. We must never underestimate the importance of the human will. It's a a powerful thing and it's an important thing. You see, too many believers have, uh, have an intellectual religion in which uh, they satisfy the mind, but the heart is never changed. Their lives never change. They've got the Bible facts and the Bible quotes and the Bible statistics, but their life is not really changed. They have an intellectual religion. 
And then there are others who, who enjoy a purely emotional religion that is marked only by uh, powerful emotional moments that come and go. Depends who's speaking. Depends what the music is like. Depends who, what concert they're at. Up and down, up and down, up and down. It's an emotional high. But God wants the whole of the inner person, the whole of the inner man, the whole of the inner woman to be directed to Him. An intelligent mind, a fervent heart, an obedient will. He wants it all. Mark 12, verse 30. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Emotions, intellect, will, all of them fully engaged for Jesus. That's the way it should be. And, and, and when, we, when we take a moment to just consider all that Jesus has done for us in His life and death and resurrection, when we consider all that, how much more we want to do, Mark 12.30. When we think of what He's done for us, how much more do we want to be 12.30 Christians? Not because we, we have, to, oh, have to love the Lord, my God, with all my heart and soul, mind and strength. Oh, man. It's not like that, is it? Because of what Jesus has done. I want to. I, I want to love Him with everything I have and everything I am and everything I ever hope to be. I, I just I want to live out my life for Jesus because of what He's done for me. Satan's target is your will. The weapon he uses against that is pride. That's his, that's his primary weapon as the ruler. And we started the message by reading from 1 Chronicles chapter 21. But if you go back just one chapter, you will actually begin to read about some of David's uh, military victories. I, I mean, the guy just seems invincible. He seems indestructible. He seems so, so powerful, so strong, and so mighty. Isn't there a Sunday school chorus about that? Yeah. David was a mighty warrior. But you see, even though he won many of the battles, he eventually lost the war because he gave in to pride. Satan used his military victories to tempt him to, 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 to think he was self-sufficient. I could do this. I've been at war so many times. I can do this. I can lead the armies. I can do this. He tried to work at inflating David's ego and his own estimation of his skill and ability. Not unlike what he does with us. One author points out that, that David's sin with Bathsheba was a sin of the flesh and a wicked one at that. But when he numbered the nation he committed a sin of the Spirit. And David's adultery eventually led to the death of four people. And that's terrible. But his sin in, in ordering a census or numbering the nation cost 70,000 men their lives. I mean, pride is a, is a wicked, terrible, awful, yucky thing. 
and we think that pride was the primary culprit in this episode with David. Proverbs 16, 19 says, It's better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Pride is a weapon that Satan wields with great skill. He's very good at it. Have you you got some experience with that? (laughs) He's very good at wielding this tool called pride. And I think this explains why Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 5, clothe yourselves, all of you. I mean, he's pleading with us. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Why? Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud. That that ought to be reason enough to, to, to get on our faces before God and humble ourselves in His presence. Humble yourselves, Peter says, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. And let God exalt you. Don't, don't get into the, into the business of self-exaltation. That just never works. <laughs> Satan's target is your will. Satan's weapon is pride. So be careful. Stay alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for whom he may deceive, devour, destroy. And he will use pride to do that. So be careful. And Satan's purpose, of course, is to make you independent of God's will. He wants to make you independent of the will of God, not not reliant any longer on the will of God. You can do this. Has God really said? Come on, you can do this. 1 John 2.17, John makes this statement in his first letter. He says, the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. You see, the, the, the Holy Spirit seeks to make us utterly and completely and absolutely dependent on the will of God. While your adversary, the devil, seeks to make you downright independent of the will of God. And Jesus said in Mark 3.35, whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. That verse has always fascinated me. Doing the will of God is the ultimate test of who we belong to. Isn't that right? Doing the will of God is the litmus test of belonging to the family of God. Whoever does the will of God He is my brother and sister and mother. When Paul wrote to the Colossian church, he told them that Epaphras, a fellow worker in the gospel, was praying for them that they may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. You see how important it is to to, to know the will of God and and walk in the will of God and understand the will of God and, 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 and pray about the will of God? It's critical for us. 
Peter declares in 1 Peter 2.15 that it's God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. I, I, by the way, I'm very fond of that verse. I really am. I, I like that one. Uh, over and over again, the Bible tells us what the will of God is. Will of God is this for you? Will of God is that for you? Over and over again, the Bible tells us what the will of God is. And over and over again, the enemy tries to make us independent of the will of God. To be, to be totally self-sufficient and not trust the will of God. Satan's purpose is to make us self-sufficient, self-reliant, and disconnected from God's will. That's what he wants. So as the deceiver... Satan wants to make you ignorant of God's will. As the destroyer, he wants to make you impatient with God's will. And as the ruler, he wants to make you independent of God's will. Those are the tactics, the, the schemes of the devil. And, and we're just taking this four-week series just to, just to help people, not just brand new Christians, but some of us who've, who've gotten comfortable in our, in our Christian life, to, to, to recognize the tactics that the enemy uses to deceive, destroy, and rule us. And, and even if Satan does not deceive your mind and make you ignorant or attack your body and make you impatient, he will go after your will and try to make you proud so that you act and think independently of the will of God. But, but friends... <laughs> Listen for just a second. Listen. We really cannot survive spiritually outside of the will of God. We, we can't. We will never survive spiritually. We will never make it outside of the will of God. We need God's provision to sustain us. We need God's word to, to teach us. We need God's people to encourage us. We need God's presence to satisfy us. We need God's church to, to motivate us. We need God's spirit to empower us. And we need God's will to guide us. We can't make it without the will of God. We need to know it. We need to understand it. We need to walk in it. We need to fulfill it. We need to obey it. And, and Satan, one of Satan's tactics as the ruler is to get us in, into such a frame of mind that we become puffed up about our own abilities or skills or talents or, or whatever and so that we walk away, we step away. And it's never we, we run away, but we, we drift away from our dependence on the will of God. He wants to make us independent of the will of God. King Uzziah is a perfect illustration in the Old Testament of a man or a woman who, who begins to drift away, who, who becomes independent of God's will through pride. So we look at 2 Chronicles chapters 26, where the scripture says, in Jerusalem, King Uzziah made machines. He made machines that were invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners of the wall to shoot arrows and great stones. So this is the beginning of military hardware right here. Very, very smart men that created these machines that propelled stones and, and, and fended off attacking armies. And his fame spread far. 
for he was marvelously helped, we assume by God. What's the next phrase? What is the next phrase? Till he was strong. But when he was strong, he grew proud. He became self-sufficient. He became self-reliant. He started to drift away from his dependence on God, and it was to his, what's the word? Destruction. It was to his destruction. It wasn't just that he became a little uncomfortable. It wasn't just that the temperature in the temple was a little too high and he was sweating because of it. He wasn't just a little nervous. It was to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God. So be careful, my friends. Be careful. Pride is a killer. Pride is a spiritual assassin. It's like a sniper that sits out there waiting for you to just take a step away and he picks you off. When you experience a victory like King David or when you enjoy success like King Uzziah and there's nothing wrong with experiencing success in education or business or, or sports. Nothing wrong with that. But watch out for the pride that comes slithering into your heart as a result and you become self-sufficient and self-reliant. Pride goes before a fall and pride will lead you away from the will of God and that will be your... Destruction. That's a strong word. It'll be your destruction. Well, beware of the enemy. Beware and take advantage of the defense that God provides. What is that defense? Your defense is His blood and your testimony. <laughs> His blood and your testimony is your defense against the schemes and strategies of the ruler, the prince of the power of the air. Kristen read from the book of Revelation this morning. In the book of Revelation, Jesus allows the apostle named John to see visions, heavenly visions, of the outworking of his victory on the cross. Okay? And in Revelation chapter 12, this is what John saw. Verse 9. The great dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent, who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. That's all the same person. It's all the same being. Okay? He's the great dragon. He's the ancient serpent. He's the devil. He's Satan. He's the deceiver of the whole world. Same being. He was thrown down to the earth which implies that he no longer has the same power that he did once when he was in heaven. And his angels were thrown down with him. They too have been limited in their power and scope. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down 
who accuses them day and night before our God. So yes, he's been thrown down, but he still has a, has a work of accusing us day and night. From his limited scope and his limited perspective, his limited power, one of the things he keeps on doing is accusing us day and night. Have you, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, of course we do. But verse 11 goes on to say, and they, the brothers and sisters, have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, hallelujah, for they loved not their own lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath. We know that. He's angry. He's totally upset. Because he knows his time is short. He knows his scope is limited. He knows that his, his, power has been, his power has been clipped. So he's angry. He knows his time is short. I mean, what an amazing passage of Scripture this is. There's so much. I mean, I could, I could probably preach a sermon just on this passage. I feel it coming on. Whoa, whoa. Finish this one first. But they conquered Satan. That's what, that's what the verse says. They conquered Satan, who is the accuser of our brothers. How? By the blood of the Lamb. And how? By the word of their testimony. For they love not their own lives. The blood of Jesus is our greatest defense against the enemy. Can I get an amen? amen. The blood of Jesus is our greatest defense. He, I mean, he, Jesus crushed the enemy on the cross. The price has been paid. The blood has been shed. Your freedom has been secured. So do not give the enemy a foothold through pride. Don't go back there. Don't open up a, a possibility for him to stick his foot in there. And, 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 and by the way, share the word of your testimony. <laughs> there, there's power in what you've experienced. There's power in what I've experienced. People say to me, I, you know, from time to time, I just say, could you share your story with me? I, I don't know much about your spiritual experience. Oh, I don't have much of a story, Pastor. Are you kidding me? You have a story to tell. And what you have experienced with God, whether it be short, whether it be long, whether it be deep, whether it be just beginning, is powerful. And, and we conquer the enemy. We put the devil on the run, not only by the blood of the Lamb, but also by the word of our testimony. That's what Scripture says. I'm just telling what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. I'm just quoting the Bible. That's what Scripture is. Scripture says they, they conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. I mean, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. You believe what the Bible says, right? You believe what the Bible says, right? Now that, so I'm just kind of telling you what the Bible says. I'm just bringing it to your attention. We overcome him by the word of our testimony. Say, oh man, it's so hard to give a testimony. No, it isn't. Sometimes just reading scripture is, is the kind of testimony that you need to give. Especially when Satan is kind of at you, you know? Late at night when the, everybody else has gone to bed, temptation, no, oh, you know, just... Just read scripture. It's a great testimony. In fact, we're going to practice together. Surprising to you, right? We're going to practice this together this morning. Let's give a testimony this morning with these, these verses. Say them with me. But I have trusted in your steadfast love, 
My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. When, when the enemy hears stuff like that coming out of your mouth, he backs off. I mean, if you say it and you mean it, he backs off. He does. Let's go again. Next verse. The Lord is my strength and shield. I trust him with all my heart. He helps me and my heart is filled with joy. What a great testimony. Take that on your lips. Or the next one, Psalm 18. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold. I mean, Satan is conquered by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. So let's give testimony. Let's just give testimony whenever that temptation comes. Satan is conquered by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony. Therefore, it says in 2 Timothy 1.8, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Don't be ashamed of that testimony. <laughs> See, that, that's precisely the kind of testimony that puts the enemy on the run. Fast as he can hoof it out, he's gone. He can't stand it when the people of God give praise to him. He can't stand it when the people of God give testimony of the power of God at work. You don't have to be afraid. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors. I'd like to know what the definition of that is. But one day when we see him face to face, we can say, geez, what do you mean that I was more than a conqueror? You guys can have a nice latte together and he'll tell you all about it. We will overcome the, by the blood of the Lamb, thank you, Jesus, and by the word of our testimony. Satan wants to attack your mind with lies that make you ignorant to the will of God. He wants to attack your body with suffering that will make you impatient with the will of God. And he wants to attack your will with pride so that you become independent of the will of God. And I just say this, in your battle against Satan, the only way to conquer, the only way to victory is through surrender. That's the only way to do it. It seems like the more we try to fight against the enemy, the worse it gets. If we just surrender and submit ourselves to the Lord and resist the devil, he will flee from you. Now, now that's a promise of Scripture. I'm not here making some crazy claim that if you take certain words on your, on your lips that the devil's going to run. I, I'm just here to declare what the Scripture says. I'm just here to remind you this morning of what the Scripture says, what God says by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This Scripture says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee. From you, from me, from everyone who lives according to this text. So, Father, we pray in the name of Jesus this morning that you would come to the aid and the protection of your people. We thank you, Father, for teaching us from your word these last two or three weeks what it means to take our stand against the enemy. You've equipped us with greater knowledge and greater understanding on the schemes and the strategies of the enemy, the deceiver, the destroyer, 
the ruler. And this morning, and again in a fresh way, we surrender. We give it up. We're so done trying to live this life according to our own strength, our own wisdom, our own schemes. We submit ourselves, therefore, to God afresh. And in the name of Jesus, we resist the devil, the deceiver, the destroyer, the ruler. We resist the prince of the power of this air. In the name of Jesus. And we watch him flee to wait for another opportune time. But until that time comes, Father, we will enjoy the peace that you give the believer who's living a surrendered life. Thank you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen.